So in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to his followers, uh, how many of you are followers of Jesus? Just real quick, kind of like to know who I'm talking to. Okay, so Jesus said to them, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. The good news. Preach the good news to everyone. Um, that's an interesting term, the good news. Maybe, maybe your Bible says the gospel. Preach the gospel to everyone. And those words come from a Greek word, euangelion. Um, you guys wanna learn some Greek today? Imagine if you saw your parents making out. The sound that you would make is like this, ew. So just say that, ew. ew. And that, that means good. For us it means gross, right? But for the Greek it means good. And then angelion, let me hear you say angelion. It just means like a message or like news. And so euangelion means good news. It's, it's a good message. And in the Bible, euangelion is always specifically talking about the good news of a new king coming into power. So one of Jesus' first followers, a guy named Mark, and Mark wrote um, the first of a couple of books that we now have in our Bible telling all about Jesus. And we call his book, he says in the beginning, we call, it, we call it the Gospel of Mark, right? And in the beginning of that book, he says, this is the good news about Jesus. And the good news that Mark and Matthew and Luke and John and really the whole Bible tell us is that God's amazing kingdom is coming. And it's, and it's gonna replace this ugly, horrible world of pain and hate and death. And in God's kingdom, Jesus is king. That's the good news. And then there's some even gooder news. And that is that King Jesus is inviting people like us to be citizens in his kingdom, which is weird because it's the kingdom of God and so there's no sin there, there's no pride there, there's no hate there. So it's like a little weird that he would invite people like us to be citizens of that. How's that gonna work? How's that gonna work? And that's the goodest news. And that is that through the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's possible for broken, sinful, messed up people like us to qualify for citizenship in God's kingdom. So there you go. That's, that's, that's you and Gileon, man. That's the good news. That is the gospel. And Jesus instructs us through this passage in Mark to go into the world and, and help get that good news out to everyone. And the stakes are really high. Um, look at the next verse. Verse 16 says, Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, and anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. So scale of one to 10, how big a deal is this to go into the world and to tell everybody this good news? I mean, it's, it's a 10, right? Because it says anyone who believes will be saved and get to go into the kingdom, and anybody who refuses to believe will be condemned. So, a couple of questions for you. It's okay to answer. Um, is evangelism, euangelion, is evangelism important? Okay. Is evangelism commanded by Jesus? 
Yes or no? Yes, okay. And um, is evangelism always easy? Okay, <laughs> wow, that, yeah, okay, I heard that one. Um, is it always comfortable? I think it's not, right? It's not always easy, and it's not always comfortable, and I can prove it to you. Um, how many of you would say that in the, like, at least twice in the last week, you've been talking to somebody about the weather, oh, I can't believe the Spurs got that guy, right? Oh, did you see that horrible train wreck in India? Oh, well, here's something. God's kingdom is coming, and Jesus is king of it, and he's inviting you to be a citizen in it, and he wants to offer you a way through his death, burial, and resurrection that you can be a citizen in God's kingdom. How many of you have shared that news with, I don't know, two people in the last week? Couple, okay. How many um, have shared that with at least two people in the last month? Couple. How many have shared that news with at least two people? It's not that, I mean, obviously it's not easy, right? It's obviously complicated. And if you haven't, let me ask you this. Is it because you don't love Jesus? Is it, is it because you don't want to do what he commands you to do? Is it because you don't care that these people are going to be left out of his kingdom? And it says condemned. And I, it's, then why haven't we? And I think a lot of us really struggle a little bit with this whole thing. Like, why haven't I? Why don't I? How, how, why, and when I do, why do I do it so poorly, right? Why am I such a bad evangelist? And I think a lot of us have just like accepted, well, I mean, it can only mean one thing, I'm a failure as a Christian, right? And I'm just, I guess I just don't have a, a part to play in, in spreading the gospel. But before you go there, I wanna ask you to consider something. Is it, is it possible that you're not a great evangelist because that's not how God wired you. Is, is that possible? Because I know some people, and I bet you know some people that are great evangelists, right? And it is easy for them, and it's very comfortable for them, and they don't think anything at all about asking somebody questions or talking to people about Jesus. Here's Jan, I've been to lunch with Jan. You sit in a restaurant with Jan, and I'll tell you what, she, she, she asks questions to the waitress. Oh, can I get that dressing on the side? How long have you worked here? Do you know Jesus? It's just that, it's nothing to her. It's just another question. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel weird to her. It feels perfectly comfortable to her. A lot of you guys know Ken Dockery, right? Ken has been around forever at this church, and, and in general, but anyway. He's been around forever, he's awesome dude. He's real involved in the Chamber of Commerce, right? And so he'll go to these like grand openings and ribbon cuttings and all that stuff. It's nothing for him to say to somebody, where do you fellowship? That's what he says, where do you fellowship? I don't even know what that means. I have never asked anybody, where do you fellowship? But he does to everybody. It doesn't feel weird to him. It's, it's, he's a natural man, he's an evangelist, he's got it. He's got that thing. He's got that thing. Holly, here's Holly Morgan. Holly told me the other day, a plumber came to her house to fix her sink, and before he left, they prayed the sinner's prayer together. And it's like, how in the, how does that conversation start? 
right? How does that even work? So he's laying on his belly under her sink. His pants are down to here. How does a conversation begin? She walked up to him and she goes, oh, that reminds me. There was a crack in the relationship between God and his people. I don't know. How does it even, how do you begin the conversation, right? And I, listen, listen, okay, listen. I asked her, like, how did that happen? And you know what she said? I don't know, I just talking to him. And I mean, of course the conversation led to Jesus. She's an evangelist, right? She's got that thing that a lot of us don't have. Uh, my friend Richard is in here, so went to somewhere. Where's Richard? There he is in the corner over there. So Richard's one of these people that every conversation is, is going to end up about Jesus. Doesn't really matter what you ask him. You ask him about the weather, we're gonna end up talking about Jesus, right? So a long time ago, he's trying to sell a ladder. So he's got it on Marketplace on Facebook, right? So this couple, Jesus and Ramona, come to his house and they, hey, we wanna buy your ladder. So he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna sell my ladder, and of course, we're gonna need to talk about Jesus, you know, before they can get out of here. And so he just, he just starts asking them about their faith. Who does that? They came for a ladder, right? And he says, hey, tell me about your faith. And they said, oh, well, we came from Mexico, and there we celebrated and we worship Santa Muerte, the saint of death. They were literally in this, like, cult in Mexico Worshiping Satan. So what would you have done at that point? Well, here's your ladder. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but he, he didn't do that. You know, he thought, oh, it's a perfect chance to talk about Jesus. So he starts talking to them about Jesus. Okay, one thing leads to another, dot, dot, dot. Now they're coming to church. Now they're joining our Spanish-speaking life group out there. Now they both get baptized, right? Now, listen to this. A couple of weeks ago, Ramona passed away. And she's in heaven right now. She's gonna spend eternity in the presence of God. And someday Jesus will join her there. So, praise God for these weird people. <laughs> like Jan and Ken and Holly and Richard, they're, they're, thank you Jesus for their boldness and for their their gift as an evangelist. I mean, I hear those stories, and to me, they're beautiful, and they're inspiring, and they're horrifying. Because I just think, and maybe you think the same thing, I would never do that, man. I am never gonna drag a guy out from under my kitchen sink, right? I'm just not gonna do that. I would have said, take your ladder and go. I am not gonna talk to strangers. I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, how many of you, at least a little bit, say, that, is, that sounds terrifying to me? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's, 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 can I tell you something? Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay. I think it's really important for us to understand this. God created us all in his image, right? But he is so amazing and he is so complex that each of us can have some of his characteristics and yet we can all still be very different because each one of us God has intentionally formed and molded and shaped through what, genetics and, and our relationships and our experiences and our upbringing, our education, our circumstances, and then for Christians, there's even this other like layer of diversity, and that's spiritual gifts. 
The Bible says that when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and he gives you certain gifts that are for you, specifically for you. Everybody's got at least one. Here's where it is. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm not making this up. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. To one, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To somebody else gets the, spirit, the message of special knowledge, verse 9. And some people get great faith. To somebody else, he gives the gift of healing. He gives somebody else the power to do miracles, another to prophesy. He gives some the ability to discern whether a message is from God or another spirit. Somebody else is given the ability to speak an unknown language. Somebody else gets the ability to interpret what is said. And this is important. This is verse 11. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The, The human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. Do you get that? The Holy Spirit decides who gets what. It's okay if you don't have something that somebody else has. You've got something that they don't have. Right, That's it. you don't have my exact same genes or relationships or experience or upbringing or education or spiritual gifts and you're not supposed to. So, I, I, and I don't have yours. You're, you're probably really good at and, 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 and really love some things that I'm really horrible at and I really hate. And there's probably stuff that I really love and I'm really good at that you're not. Have you noticed that? Different, different people have different, like I can't even, like music. Like these people up here, you, don't you, a lot of you guys don't know this, but I'm a pretty good musician. And <laughs> that hurt my feelings. You don't, well, I'll show you something. Give me a. I'll just, a lot of you don't even know I can do this, um, but I can, I can play a little, let me just. Uh, <laughs> kind of call that prime in the pump. Okay, you don't, you, you don't think I can do this, do you? Just give me a sec. I'm, I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> Okay. Okay, I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> or here's like a different. I, it's hard. And then this, this is a different arrangement I've been kind of working on. How do you like me now? Thank you. 
So you see, I, I can't. Let's turn it off. I can't. I can't. I can't play the piano. But listen, I have talents, okay? I have spiritual gifts. I have stuff. I just don't have that talent. I don't have that spiritual gift. I don't have that stuff, and that's okay. I'm not less valuable to the kingdom. I'm not less important to somebody that can play the piano. We're, we're all different, and that's not an accident. This, it's part of God's plan. Right, we're all, it says we're all part of the same body, right? Your ears don't need to know how to pump blood, right? Your heart doesn't need to know how to hear. They both just need to do what they're built to do so that the body can move forward. So let's talk about Paul. Paul's one of the great evangelists in history, right? And he was perfect for it, man. He, he had the perfect calling. He had the perfect like temperament, he had the perfect education, he had the perfect personality, he had the perfect spiritual gifting, he had the perfect opportunity to be an evangelist. That matters, right? Because, I mean, opportunity is a huge part of this. If you think about it, I have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus that you don't. Right? I have a lot more opportunity to tell people about the gospel than you do. I have a stage. I have a microphone, right? I have hundreds of people who can't eat a donut unless they listen to me. So I, most of us don't have that, and yet all of us want people to come to know Jesus. And all of us are called to reach the world for Jesus. So how's that gonna work? You know, how, how are you gonna do that if you're not an outgoing, extroverted, super bold, evangelistically gifted Bible expert with a stage and a microphone? And that's, that's, a, that's a really hard question. And a couple of months ago, um, Pastor Mike actually suggested a book to me that I read and I really liked it. And I'll show you what the book looks like. I think we have a cover of it. It's called Surprise the World. It's written by a guy named Michael Frost. And this book, I, 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 really, I really like the teaching in this book. And more importantly than the fact that I like it is, I think it's biblical. And what it's about is how people who are not super bold, super evangelistic, gifted in that way, can still be part of reaching the world for Jesus. And so for the next several weeks, I'm gonna be teaching kind of right out of this book. And so I hope you'll come and, and join us every week for it. We're gonna be doing some fun stuff on Wednesday nights that goes with it. And I hope that you'll be part of that. Um, or you can buy the book. It's really, it's 100 pages. It's really easy to read. And read the book and then you don't need me at all. And then on Sunday mornings, you can work in kids' ministry. So it's like poopy diapers or come in here, it's your call. Um, so Paul is this great evangelist, um, but it, he, it doesn't seem like Paul thinks everybody is a great evangelist. And it doesn't seem like Paul thinks that everybody's supposed to be a great evangelist. Paul sees evangelism as like a two-pronged approach, right? So prong one is these weird people that are gifted as evangelists. And Paul writes something really interesting to the church at Ephesus. He writes that the actual gift, the actual gift of evangelism isn't the, the gifting of the evangelist, it's the evangelists themselves. 
So look what this says. This is Ephesians 4.11. He says, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I think it's really interesting to me that he doesn't say that the gifts are like apostling or prophesying or evangelizing or pasteurizing or, or teaching. He says the gifts to the church are the, the people themselves, the, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. And they are the first prong of this evangelistic thing. And then the second prong is, Paul says, that all believers are to be evangelistic and to be mission-minded and that they're spreading the good news even if they are not one of those specific gifts. Now, Paul sees himself as an evangelist, right? He's a bold proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus, but he doesn't seem like he thinks that everybody has that same calling or that everybody has that same gifting or that everybody has that same responsibility. So Paul, if you know your New Testament, Paul spends a lot of time like on the road. He's on like an evangelistic tour, right? And he's always, he's touring with somebody, right? He's touring with Silas. He's touring with Barnabas. He's touring with Timothy. And they're going, you know, town to town. They got speaking engagements. So I guess they have, I don't know, a booking agent, right? They got these agents that are being set up. They got a tour bus. They've got roadies. They got a merch table. They're selling CDs and books and T-shirts. But right now he's in prison, but even in prison, even while he's there, he's, he's evangelizing guards, right? Other, other inmates, visitors, cooks, anybody that'll listen. And it's, he's never not evangelizing wherever he is because that's how he's gifted. And that's how he's called and that's who he is. So look what he writes to the church at Colossae. This is a church um, that Paul's involved with, and he, he sends in this letter about how this evangelistic ministry is going like out here on the road, right? Colossians 1.6, he says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it's bearing fruit everywhere. It's changing lives just like it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So they've heard the gospel, right? They've been evangelized, right? Now they're a church, and Paul's writing this letter, and I'm expecting this letter to say, okay, look, you guys got evangelized, now it's your turn, right? Take a box of tracks, right? Take some CDs, get on the road. You need to go out there on the highways and byways, and you need to start preaching the gospel. But instead, look what Paul writes to them about what they should do to help take that same gospel to the rest of the world. This is Colossians 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote yourselves to prayer. And pray for us. Who's us? Who's he talking about? Yeah, yeah, so he, this is a letter he wrote, and the beginning of this, he says, this letter is for the Church of Colossae, and it's from me, Paul, and my boy Timothy, that's with me right now, that's on the road with me, that's, that, that's, that's evangelizing. So pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. So Paul writes back to this church and he goes, all right, guys, here's, here's the first thing I want you to do about evangelism. We're going to take this thing to the world. It's changed your life and now it's going to change the whole world. Here's what I want you to do. Pray for me and Timothy, right? That, that we'll have good opportunities, that, that people will show up 
and that the microphones will work and the bus won't break down. You know, right now I'm in prison, so pray that I'll be able to clearly explain the gospel to guards and prisoners and wardens and visitors and just pray that God will open doors for me so that I can do what I'm spiritually gifted and called to do. You see that? That's what he says. The first thing he's asking, pray specifically for the specifically called and gifted evangelists. Me and Timothy, we're called. This is who we are. We're, we're gifted like this. So pray that we'll have opportunities, that we'll, that we'll be effective, and that we'll proclaim the gospel clearly. He doesn't say anything to them about going door to door. He doesn't say anything to them about setting up a, a speaker at the mall. He doesn't say anything to them. Nothing, nothing wrong with those things, but that wasn't his instructions to them. It's not about them taking a box of tracks and going to the park and passing out tracks. Look what he tells them to do. This is verse five. So he says, pray for us. Pray for us, verse four. And then verse five says, your job, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Live wisely among those that are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Verse six, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So he's telling the like non-professional evangelists, right? The regular people, right? Most people, here's your instructions. Pray for us that we'll, we'll, we'll do our calling well, right? That we, will, that we will use our gifts well. And then number two, be wise in how you live with unbelievers. And then number three, just look for opportunities to, to talk to them and, and answer their questions. So Paul seems to think that there's two types of like mission-minded people in the church. There's the actual evangelists, Paul, Billy Graham, Jan, Holly, Ken, Richard, these weird people, right? There's them, and then there's real people, <laughs> right? Then, and th there's these mission-minded believers. Now, in this book, Michael Frost has a little chart. I'm going to show you. We kind of doctored this chart a little bit. Let me show you this chart. So there's two kinds of ministers down the left, and then there their priorities, and then the types of spoken ministry that they have. So the first type of minister is the gifted evangelist. That's, that's Paul, and that's Holly right there, right? Their priorities are they want clarity in presenting the gospel, and they want opportunities to do it. And then the type of spoken ministry, the way that they say it is through this bold proclamation. It's preaching, it's thus saith the Lord. It's let me be bold and let me tell you how it is with Jesus. So that's, that's, that's one type of minister, okay? That's their gifted that way. The next type is evangelistic believers. This is mission-minded, regular people like us, right? And their priorities are prayer right, for those evangelists that are on the road and for opportunities to come up, and then also wisdom in the way they live, in their relationships with other people, and then that they'll be watchful and they'll see opportunities, maybe not to huge crowds, but opportunities to share Jesus with people, and then their type of spoken ministry is not a bold proclamation where they're slamming their hand on a Bible, it's really just gracious answers to questions that come up, and both, both of those are critical parts of God's plan for evangelism. And it seems like Paul thinks that even though everybody has an important part to play in evangelism, not everyone is a gifted and called 
evangelist, and that's okay. That's actually God's plan. Remember what it said, the Holy Spirit decides who gets what gift. So if you don't have that gift, you don't need to apologize to the Holy Spirit that you don't have that gift. If he wanted you to have that gift, he'd have given you that gift. So I think Paul sees that, that, that public evangelism is a gifting and it's a calling for all churches, but it, it's not a gifting and a calling to every single believer. Most believers have a completely different role than this public evangelism, and that is that they pray for the evangelists and that they live lives in front of believers that bring up questions, and then they give gracious, attractive answers to those questions. And that's why we're calling this series Questionable Lives. If you're an evangelist, man, praise God for you. That is awesome. If you're a piano player, God bless you. You have something that a lot of us don't have, and that is wonderful. Use it, do it, don't stop doing it. But for a lot of people, your role in evangelism might be living a life that is so weird that it makes people ask you questions, right? That, that, that somebody might say to you, what's wrong with you? Like, why, do you, why, do you, why are you so nice to me, right? You have to, live, you have to live this like weird life and if this is the goal, it's almost like the weirder the better which is perfect for us as a church, right? Because there's nobody weirder than us. But that's a, that's, that's, that's a good thing because if, he says this in the book, if the, if the pr- predictability is high, the impact is low. If people knew what you were gonna do when you did it, it doesn't make them ask you questions, right? So if you're a Christian and you go to church on most Sundays, that's great, you should, that's wonderful, but that's not gonna raise a lot of eyebrows. Right, because that's what they expected. You're a Christian, of course that's what you do, right? If you're a Christian and you have a Jesus fish on your car, that's great, you sh- that's wonderful, you should have that, but that's not gonna surprise anybody. And if you're a Christian and you post a scripture on Facebook once in a while, that's great, you should do that, but that's not gonna, people aren't gonna go, Duh! what is that, right? If you wear cross earrings, right, that's good, do it. But it's, it's probably not gonna like, nobody's gonna say, what? Right, it's, it's not a, but if you, if you really love radically, right, that's weird, right? If you really live like Jesus, that's, that's weird. And, and, and it, it's not only weird, it's attractive. It, it like forces people to ask questions. And so, listen, you know who gets this? Golfers, and I'll tell you why. Like I like to play golf, right? If I see a professional golfer and he's hitting his driver 350 yards, let me tell you something, that's really weird, right? That is, that is not normal, right? That is extra ordinary. And when I see somebody doing that, I am immediately flooded with questions. How's he doing that? All right, what kind of driver does he have? <laughs> like what, what shaft has he got in there? What kind of ball is he using? What's his launch angle? What's his spin rate? What do he eat for breakfast today? Right, what, what, what kind of toothpaste does he use? I'll try anything. What kind of socks is he wearing? Because that, that looks so different to me, right? That's not how I'm living. It looks so different to me. It, it, it makes me ask questions because I want to know what does he have that I don't have? And unfortunately, the answer 
is talent. But, you, and that stinks, but that's his gifting. But do you see how his life is questionable to me? His, his life is so extraordinary, right? It's such an extraordinary thing that he's doing, I can't help but ask questions. And a questionable Christian life causes people to ask you questions. That's what everybody says, I wanna talk about Jesus, but how do I bring it up, right? How are you standing in the grocery store line and you just start talking about the kingdom of God coming? How are you gonna talk to your mechanic about that? How are you gonna talk to your people and your family? How's it gonna come up? But wouldn't it be something if they came to you? Wouldn't it be something if they ask you questions? You know, that thing happened to you, how come you didn't get mad about that? You got all this upheaval and craziness in your life. Why aren't you freaking out? What, what, why are you being so nice to me? Wouldn't it be cool if somebody asked you that? What, what, like, what are you up to? What, what, what's going on with you? Why, why are you always down there at that church place, right? What are you, how come you're giving them your money? Why would you do that? How come you're volunteering? Who volunteers? They're not giving you anything. Why, why, would, you, why would you do that? Why would, why would anyone foster a child? Are you a masochist, right? Why, why would you do that? Why would you submit to other people? That's crazy. Why would you forgive people that do mean things to you? What's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? Why would you love people who clearly hate you? That's just weird. And that's the idea, right? You live this questionable life, and then when the questions come, you give not sermons, right? Not presentations. You give gracious, attractive answers. That's it, that's, that's Paul's two-prong approach. Here's how Peter said it, this is 1 Peter 3.15. He says, it's the same thing. Look, they're, they're telling the same thing. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So if he's Lord of your life, that means you're following him. You're living his way, not the world's way. That means you're living, honestly, a, a strange life that's gonna stick out in the world. So you're living this questionable life by following Jesus as Lord, and then he says, if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it and do it in a gentle, respectful way. So, we're gonna spend a lot of time in the next five weeks talking about some ways we can live questionable lives. Lives that invite questions. And then we'll talk a little bit about some potential ways to graciously, attractively, gently, respectfully answer those questions. Sound good? So it's a cool idea. Um, Question is, does it work? Right? Is it effective? And uh, one reason I love this book is it does work. And I wanna give you two examples of how it works. Um, first example is a while back. It transformed the Roman Empire. Because when Peter and Paul and Timothy and Barnabas and Silas and a handful of guys were going around preaching, doing these engagements, right? They're standing in front of people proclaiming the gospel. While they were doing that, there were hundreds of thousands of regular people, missional believers, that were just living questionable lives all over the Roman Empire and all over the world. And they, they shared their stuff, and they did sacrificial acts of kindness, and they loved their enemies, and they forgave people that, that persecuted them, 
and they cared for the poor and the hungry, and in the consistently brutal world of Rome, they were complete weirdos, right? And in fact, this author, Michael Frost, called them the most stunningly different people the world had ever seen. And they created such an uproar with all of this weirdness that in the fourth century, uh, the Roman emperor Julian was afraid they were gonna take over the empire. Because these Christians, I don't know what they're up to, man, but we gotta get a hold of this before they take over. So he sends out a directive to all their government officials, all the senators and all that stuff. And it's basically saying, look, we haven't taken care of the sick. We haven't taken care of the poor. Now these Christians are doing it and everybody's talking about it. And they're all eating these meals together. They're sharing their stuff. They're loving each other. They're helping strangers. They're forgiving their enemies. It's obviously a trick. They're trying to gain influence. They're trying to gain power. We gotta shut them down. And so his plan was to outlove them. And so he established a bunch of government food distribution programs. <laughs> Christians are doing it. We can't let them win this thing, right? So he sets up all these government food distribution programs. And these things kind of like hostels that were like if, uh, if people or poor people were traveling, they'd have a place to stay or something like that. And his idea was we're just going to outlove Christians, right? We're going to be better than them at all this love and kindness and all that, you know, Christian garbage. But it flopped big time. And you know why? Because the priests of the Roman gods didn't care about helping people. And the government officials didn't care about poor people. Julian underestimated what was moving Christians towards this love and towards this kindness. He called it philanthropy. The Christians weren't moved by wanting to rule the world. They were moved by the example of Jesus. They were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this, this Christian idea that God really loves people was ridiculous to them because their gods didn't care about humans. But the Christians not only talked about God's love and mercy, they actually demonstrated it. They fed the poor. They welcomed everybody. They broke down barriers and socioeconomic groups. Rich people and slaves were seen as equal and women were treated with respect and children were valued and they were open to all ethnicities and all social groups. They were like total weirdos, right? They were living these totally questionable lives and the whole world became like super curious. What, what is, what's their deal? Like, what is, what's up with these Christians? So then when an evangelist would come to town and gather a crowd and say, let me tell you about Jesus, or when just a regular person would answer their question just by telling you, well, the answer is Jesus, when that would happen, it's like the public, the people were ready for it. They were ready for it. They were, they were hungry for it. And they were opened up to it by these questions because these Christians were living questionable lives. So Paul writes a letter to Titus, the book of Titus in our Bible, and he gives them some instructions about how to teach the people in the church. You know, live a good life, live like this, right? Now, once you see the motivation behind it, he says, you know, all different people groups, like old people do this, young people do that, but they're supposed to live lives of self-control, to be respectful, to be filled with love and patience, not to be drunk, not to talk bad about people. These are like really counterintuitive ways for humans to act, right? He even says, um, the old women should not gossip, which that doesn't happen in our world, but apparently back in Rome, that was a thing. 
And so he says, tell your old women not to gossip. Tell your young men to be wise and show self-control. How's that for counterintuitive, right? That's the opposite of what, so when they would live that way, look what he says, if everybody in the church will live this kind of weird, kind of questionable life, Titus 2.10, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. It's like it opens people up to it, right? This word attractive, if you're a King James person, uh, I think the King James says that will adorn the gospel. Adorn comes from the word in Greek that, that we get uh, cosmetics from. The word cosmetics comes from. I mean, it's like to give it order, to make it beautiful, right? It's gonna make the gospel beautiful. When you live like this, it's just gonna make the gospel more interesting. It's gonna make it more compelling. It's gonna make it more intriguing. It's gonna make it more attractive. And so they lived those questionable lives and they answered people's questions and it turned the world upside down. So that's one way we can see how effective this idea is in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And then another way is more recent. Um, it's my friends Doug and Val Loy. A lot of you guys remember Doug and Val, good friends of this church, and now they've moved to Albuquerque because they hate Jesus. Uh, <laughs> no, they've moved to Albuquerque to be with their family, and I honor that, but I don't like that because I miss them, and Doug and Val, I'm telling you, when we started this church, they did everything. They did everything. They taught VBS, they taught Sunday school, they led life groups. Doug was one of our first elders, Val was our treasurer. Doug, if you see anything in this building that wasn't original, Doug probably built it, right? They just, they did everything. They're like a, a Christian power couple, right? I don't know how to describe it. Like they've, they have arguably done more for the kingdom than any couple that I can name. And so a lot of you know that, and you saw that, and you know their deal, and you know how amazing they are and everything. But before they were Doug and Val, Christian power couple, they were just Doug and Val. And you might be interested in knowing, well, how did they hear the gospel, right? Because they weren't born Christians, right? Here's what happened. So Doug had a sister. She's living in Colorado. This was many, many, many years ago. She had little kids at the time, and her husband was killed in a plane crash. He was in Air Force, and it was a training exercise out of nowhere. He goes to work one day. He doesn't come home. And so now here she is with little kids at home. Like, what is she going to do? So Doug and Val said, well, let's just go and hang out with her. And they're nice, right? Let's, we'll just go help her or whatever. And so now they're, they're staying at her house for a few weeks. And these people from this church keep, like, bringing food to them. And, and just hanging out with them and just talking to them and praying for them and sending them cards and all that stuff. And they're like, what's wrong with these people, man? They don't even, they hardly know them. They're not relatives. They're not blood. Why are they, why are they, why are they doing that? And then they started noticing something weird about Doug's sister. Of course she was sad, right? Her husband is dead. And now she's gonna have to raise these babies by herself. But they said there was just something like, they were, she was sad. And yet, she had like this calmness about her, like this weird peace. Who has peace at a time like that? So they asked her, what's wrong with you? I mean, is she delusional? <laughs> I mean, is she in denial? You know, does she need help? Like, what's, what, why aren't you falling apart? And she told them, it's because of Jesus. And she gave them some gracious, attractive answers about what Jesus had done for her. And they said, you know what? I want some of that. 
and they became Christians. And the rest is history. So it works. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about several ways, specifically five ways, that you can live a questionable life. And all of those ways are doable for you. So that's coming. For today, I'll just say this. If you have the gift of bold proclamation as an evangelist, thank God for you. You should use it. But if you don't have that particular gift, that's okay. You still have a huge part in reaching the world for Jesus. Your assignment, should you choose to accept it, is to pray for the evangelists, right? And then to just live a questionable life. And then when the questions come, tell them the answer. Not from a stage, right? From a kitchen table, from a coffee shop, from an office break room, from a school cafeteria. God can use real life conversations to draw people to his kingdom. And you can be a huge part of his plan to spread the good news even if you're not a gifted evangelist. And maybe that starts for you when you start living a questionable life. Let's pray. Jesus, first of all, thank you for bringing God's kingdom here. And thank you for being our king. And thank you for providing for us a way that we could be citizens of this perfect kingdom, even in our brokenness and even as messed up as we are, you've made a way and it was a way that came at great cost to you. So thank you for loving us that much. And thank you because now you've called each one of us to take this gospel, to take this good news to the world. And I thank you for the people that are these bold evangelists that have this, this thing in them, this spiritual gifting, this personality, this thing that you've gifted them with to just every conversation's a Jesus conversation and they're not afraid of any question and they're just ready to go. Thank you for them and please bless them and encourage them and give them right words and bring opportunities to them. And then God, like for the rest of us, show us how we can be part of this thing, man. We wanna get the gospel out too. So show us how we can most effectively do it from where we are with the gifts that you've given us. Show us how to pray. Remind us to pray for opportunities and for these evangelists. And show us how to live questionable lives. Lives that cause people to ask us questions. And when they ask us those questions, God, will you give us the gracious, attractive answers that will draw those people to Jesus. Lord, we want to be part of your plan. So show us how and empower us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, before you guys go, we are gonna be doing some cool stuff on Wednesday nights um, starting this week. So if you're a man, how many of you are a man? It's not a trick question, people. I, so, a lot of that in the news right now. That's not what this is about. Uh, um, seriously, if you're a man, uh, I'd love to have you join us at 6.30 on Wednesday nights for Iron Men. All you have to do is show up. Wednesday nights, 6.30, we meet out here in the portables. If you're a woman, we would love to have you join us for what's going on on Wednesday nights too, but you have to register. So you have to go to, I don't know where you go, mycbcb.com slash women dot register comma for that thing on Wednesday nights dot com. Okay, so um, it's on the website. It's in my email this week. So I'd love to have you guys join us on Wednesday, and we will see you next week. God bless you guys.